at noon, the fire god would be at his hottest. Elijah may have read uh, some of David's psalms um, because he starts to mock them about the fact that perhaps he's asleep. Perhaps you need to wake him up. Perhaps you need to yell, cry aloud, yell louder. And uh, in uh, Elijah uh, probably read some of David's psalms that say they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. Psalm 115.5 and 135.16. And uh, in this point, uh, sac- uh, sarcasm is an invaluable weapon when it's used to expose the ridiculous pretenses of error and convince men of the folly, folly, wow, folly and unreasonableness of their ways. But notice that these, pro- these prophets had an abundance of sincerity, but sincerity does not make a matter right. They were sincere. They were so sincere that they were jumping up and down on top of the altar, so if you're praying for the God of fire to send down fire and you're standing on the altar, you're pretty sincere in your beliefs. If you're cutting yourself and allowing blood, I mean, it's very graphic. The Bible is very graphic when he says that the blood gushed out of them. So it wasn't like, you know, they were bleeding. They cut their wrists and they were bleeding over it. The blood was gushing out from them. Um, and so they were very sincere in their beliefs. And how many times have you heard that from people as as an excuse for other religions, as an excuse for coexistence? Well, these people are very sincere in what they believe, but you can also be sincerely wrong. Most religions have sincere followers, or they would not be part of that religion. Many say all roads lead to heaven, or as long as you're sincere in your beliefs, but sincerity does not make a matter right. When I was a boy, um, I asked my parents uh, where babies came from, and uh, I'll be nice, but um, they told me that when a mommy and a daddy loved each other um, enough, God would give them a baby. So I was sincere in my belief that that's where babies came from. And some neighbor boys decided to challenge that as I got older. And they decided to tell me where their parents told them babies came from. And I did not believe them. I did not believe them one bit because I was sincere in my belief. But as the fact holds I have five children, I came to realize that sincerity is not make it right. So, but Baal, you know, reminds me of Allah. Um, the true God does not require anything from his children to gain his love and acceptance. In fact, most Muslims, uh, to Allah is not a God of love. But the true God is a God of love. Um, and that's what's happening here with these people. They're trying to gain the acceptance of their God, and they're doing so. I'm, I am so glad that God does not require me to cut myself and bleed in order to get his attention. Um, All I have to do is approach the throne of grace in prayer. Um, So God hears and answers our prayers. Thank God we don't have to kill ourselves. In the same light, um, our service does not make him love or accept us more either. So as much as we need to serve God and we need to serve in a local church, that service does not gain any more love or acceptance from God. 
We are loved and accepted by God unconditionally at all times. Now, our fellowship can be hindered, our relationship can be hindered, but his love is always there. Similar to the love of a, of a parent or especially the love of a mother toward, his, toward her children. It doesn't matter what her children do. They can, she can be unhappy because of what they do. She can be unhappy with the way they live, but she never stops loving them. That love is unconditional, and I really believe that the love of a mother for her children is really a symbol to us in our lives of the love of God toward us, that we don't have to earn that love or affection. So, you know, just as an illustration, I don't do things for my wife so that she'll love me more. I do things out of my love for her. So because of my love for her, I do things, but I don't try to gain her love and affection by doing things for her. But then not only do we see that he issued an invitation, um, but he also gives a command. And in verse 33, this is where uh, the rubber meets the road. Um, and he tells them to put the, uh, he put the wood in order, he put the bullock in order, uh, he laid it all out, and then he tells them, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt offering. And he does this three times. And, you know, we probably shouldn't challenge God. We probably shouldn't set him up like that. But in doing so, he gave God more glory. So I wouldn't recommend making it harder on God to answer our prayers. Uh, you know, when we're praying for a financial need and we have a little money set aside and we need a little more, that's not the time to, to spend all the money to see if God will make up the difference. That we're not, we're, we're, that's a challenge to God, whereas this isn't, he isn't challenging God, he's just making it so that uh, the more unlikely the answer was, the more glory there would be to God. And what this man had, we, may, we too may have by prayer and fasting. You know, remember James said that Elijah was a man of like passions, or uh, in today's vernacular, we would say he puts his pants on one leg at a time. I don't know too many guys that jump into their pants, but uh, in today's vernacular, we, he put his pants on one leg at a time. He wasn't anything special in that regard. He was a man of like passions. One commentator suggested that prophets of Baal were known to use trickery and magic. No. And they would actually do something that would cause fire to, to spark up. And, you know, you've seen magicians and they... Out of nowhere, there's just this poof of smoke and, uh, you know, the magic and the trickery. And I, I, I tend to think, you know, the, in the first two of the plagues in Egypt, uh, the uh, magicians were able to duplicate what uh, Moses did. So Moses threw down the, the staff, and it turned into a snake. They threw down their staff, and they turned into snakes. Unfortunately, they lost all their staffs that day, so they had to go get new ones. Um, because their snake got eaten. And the same was true with the blood. They were able to take a pitcher of water and pour it out, and it turned to blood. So they were able to mimic these things. But eventually God said, okay, that's enough. And you're not going to be able to mimic this. But uh, the commentator said that these people were known for their trickery and magic, which is why Elijah wanted to make sure that they knew that there was no trickery or magic. There's no hidden spark or something that was going to flame up underneath there. There's no butane ready to go. Uh, it, was, it was all God because he doused 
that sacrifice. I mean, it was doused. There was no doubt. That was 12 barrels of water. And uh, Satan always attempts to counterfeit God, be it in, uh, be it in uh, religions. He, he gives, uh, you know, man, uh, religion is really man's attempt to get to God, what man has to do in order to earn God's favor or what man has to do in order to uh, be good enough for God in order to get them to heaven. So Satan's the great counterfeiter. He, he gives man the types of things that will allow him to feel like he's a part. You know, sometimes it's hard to, to, when you witness to people, to convince them, and I know that we're not trying to convince them in that sense, but to convince them that there's really nothing that they have to do. Well, certainly there's something I have to, you know, I have to change my life, or I have to be a good person, or I have to do the right things, or I have to do religious things. No, the Bible's very clear that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. It's by placing our faith and trust in him alone. So there is one thing we have to do. We have to believe. We have to believe in our heart that Jesus is the only way of salvation. But we don't have to work for our salvation. And, but, but that's how Satan counterfeits these things. And that's exactly what he did. Um, you remember, Cain wanted to come to God on his own terms. You know, God, somewhere God told Adam that there was a sacrifice for sin that would involve the slaying of a lamb because that's what the boys were raised to do. So uh, Abel gladly brought the sacrifice because he was a shepherd. He brought his lamb, and I'm sure he could have bartered with Cain. I'm sure if Cain came to him and said, can I have one of the lambs for the sacrifice? Abel would have said, sure, you know, give me some fruit or something. He would have bartered in some way to get the lamb. But, but Cain wanted to prove that his sacrifice was good enough. Look what I've produced from the earth for you, God. I've produced this fruit, this for you. This is my sacrifice to you. But that isn't what God asked for. And they, he wasn't coming on God's terms. He was coming on his own terms. And, and think about this. When they poured these 12 barrels of, of water onto the sacrifice, there was a drought. Water wasn't easy to come by. And this is a mountain that overlooks the Mediterranean Sea. Um, down below was um, the, the River Kishon, um, but it might not have been flowing much. And I, so I can't say for sure. So I'm not going to say that they didn't get it from Kishon, perhaps. But they say that the level that they were at was um, 1,400 feet. So these folks had to take these barrels go down, and he didn't tell them, go get 12 barrels. He said, take four barrels and go get water. So down they go, 1,400 feet, get the water, lug it back up, pour it over. He says, do it again. They're like, what? Are you kidding me? So four go again. They go down, and I don't know, maybe it's four, four, the four same guys or four different guys, but he does this three times, and they have to do this all the way down. So it was no small task. It was no small command that he makes. And it makes me wonder, if it were today, how many would inconvenience themselves for the task? How many, how many of us? I, I, I think of the, the, guy, uh, the folks that, that buried Ananias. And they just get done burying the guy. They come in, and Sapphira drops dead, and now they got to go bury her again. Now, that took dedication. Because they had to dig deep, you know. Um, but anyway, so 
I don't know how many people would be willing to inconvenience themselves in that kind of service for the Lord. Um, but these folks did. But then we see um, Elijah offers a prayer, and that's in verses 36 and 37. And he says, And it came to pass at the time of the evening, uh, sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, uh, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. So he offered, it's 63 words, in case you're interested, I kind of looked it up. Um, but that's all. But it's all to God's glory. So he's praying that God will do this. And uh, fire was a sign. Fire was a sign of the presence of God. Remember the burning bush? Moses goes to the burning bush. The bush is bur burning. It's, a, a, it's the presence of God in that bush. And then we have the presence of God in the, at night when the children of Israel in the wilderness, a pillar of fire. So fire symbolized the, the presence of God, uh, Exodus 3.2 and uh, Exodus 13.21. And fire was also a sign of acceptance of the priests and their sacrifice in Leviticus 9, uh, 1, uh, 1 through 24. It talks about that. Fire was a sign of purification in Numbers 31. And fire was a sign of divine judgment um, in Isaiah 26 and in Hebrews 10. So this fire would be a sign of God's acceptance of Israel, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, of Elijah, of his sacrifice, and of his ministry. So God is bringing fire down from, for Elijah to show that he is accepting the sacrifice. And this fire would be a demonstration of his wrath on Baal worship. So they're all praying over their, over their offering to try and get fire, and God is showing that he is the God, and he's bringing his wrath upon, this, uh, upon, upon these other people by showing himself strong by bringing fire. And Elijah wanted God to reveal himself to them so that these folks would know. He wanted them to be convinced of the reality of God. He wanted them to return their focus on the one true God. And do you think people today, particularly in our current crisis, want to be convinced of the reality of God? Do people look at us and want to know how we're reacting to this crisis? Um, there's a lot of, oh, woe. There's a lot of gloom and doom. And uh, do people look at us to see if, if God is real? Is God real in your life? Are you reacting uh, the appropriate way uh, to a crisis that God is in control and that he's handling the situation for his honor and his glory. And I'm not saying that the pestilence, this, this, this virus, is, is from God necessarily. I'm just saying that how we react to it shows the reality of God in our life. And all of this is, should be causing Christians to turn their focus to God. And our attention should be drawn back to God. And God always answers prayer. It may not be the answer that we want. It may not be the answer that we like, but God always answers prayer. Um, but we have to be in fellowship with him. A carnal Christian will never call down fire. Um, carnal Christians have it rough because if they're not in the right relationship with their Savior, they're not, his, your prayers are going to go no further than the ceiling. But this kind of power is possible, but many miss the preparation necessary to accomplish it. 
Many people wish they had more time for prayer and Bible study. Has being isolated in your home offered you more time um, for God, or do you binge watch TV? Uh, Remember, Elijah found himself next to the brook with nothing to do. You know, he left after the drought started, and he went, went to the brook Cherith, and I, uh, we talked about that when we, when we were talking about his uh, Elijah and concealment, how uh, there was really nothing for him to do at that brook. He was fed twice a day. God sent ravens um, against their nature to bring him food, and he ate there. And uh, he was there for six months until the, the brook dried up. And so he didn't really have anything better to do than to get close to God. And I think that's where his faith and his spiritual power came from his alone time with God. And I think he used that uh, for his benefit and for his growth. And then he goes off to Zarephath, and uh, the widow makes him a cake every day. And we talked about eating the same cake for two and a half years, what that must be like. Um, But there's a struggle in itself. But I'm sure while he was there, he spent time with God because this kind of power to call down fire doesn't just come from a person who prays for 15 minutes a day or prays over their breakfast. And this kind of power comes uh, through prayer and fasting. Remember, uh, when Jesus, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, the, the disciples came back to him and they said, uh, we, ca- we couldn't cast out this demon. And, and Jesus said to them, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting was necessary. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, Elijah was only eating one cake a day. He was getting fed twice a day by the raven. He only ate one cake a day that that I can tell from Scripture. But um, there was probably a lot of time for prayer and fasting for him as well during his time in Zarephath. And and lastly, Elisha issued an an order. Uh, Elisha issued a... Wait a minute. I think I went backwards. Yep. Oh, no, I'm going backwards. Sorry. Wow. All right. Elisha issued an order for execution in verse 40. And Elisha said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Um, It's unclear from the text, really. So back in verse 19, he says... uh, um, Elijah tells Ahab to invite all the prophets of Baal, 450, and all the prophets of the grove, 400, um, to come to Carmel. But we don't have any indication that the 400 uh, prophets of the grove actually came because he says here um, later that uh, he says to the prophets of Baal, um, and he says specifically in verse 22, but Baal's prophets are 450. So he doesn't, he, nowhere else does he mention these prophets of the grove, these 400. So the best that I can tell is that it was only the 450 prophets of Baal who were actually executed. And I can't prove that one way or the other. Um, I'm just putting it out there. It could have been all 850, um, but more likely it was probably just the 450 prophets of Baal. Um, and in 19.1, uh, Jezebel says that he has slain all the prophets with the sword. So uh, there's an indication that we don't know 
how many total uh, were killed, whether or not she had all of her prophets that ate at her table killed also, or whether or not she held them back. But um, the fire from God also spelled judgment upon the prophets of Baal. And um, over in Deuteronomy chapter 13, Some, you know, some people might think that this is awful that uh, they killed all these prophets of Baal. 450 people died that day, but this is what God's command was. He says in Deuteronomy 13, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet and that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Uh, ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. So God says, if there's anybody that draws you away from God into idolatry or to other forms of worship, that those people that draw you away should be put to death. Um, so don't feel bad for the prophets of Baal. Elijah was just following God's commandment here. And sometimes when people are deceived, so uh, they become angry with those that perpetrated the deception. So uh, it could very well be that these people were so mad uh, at the prophets of Baal that they grabbed them up and they took them down and they helped uh, him out. Um, but they really had revival. They had a period of revival. It didn't stick long, but these folks had revival. They saw God act. And the place where they killed uh, these uh, prophets was uh, the book, Brook Kishon, which emptied into the Mediterranean. Um, so it, the river flowed out into the Mediterranean um, and uh, Deborah, in her uh, victory song, the song of Deborah, talks about this rushing uh, river, Kishon, washing away uh, Sisera and his army, whether or not uh, they were talking about at the Mediterranean, but this river flowed into the Mediterranean and washed it away. And it could be that when the deluge of rain came that comes next in chapter 19, when that deluge came, it washed away the bodies and the blood kind of a picture of the cleansing of uh, Israel as well and taking this away. So I believe we're in a unique position in our country for revival. I've prayed for many years that God would bring about circumstances that would cause our focus to be go back to him and uh, people's attentions would be turned back to God. And I don't know whether or not this is the, uh, the case, but I would hope that people are considering these things and are turning their lives back to them. And um, we have no excuses not to draw closer to God during this time of crisis. Um, but perhaps you've stumbled upon this message on YouTube uh, because you're searching for answers. For those that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, none of this uh, is helpful because you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior. So you would never uh, be able to pray down fire. In fact, Really, the only prayer that God hears is, this, is our prayer of repentance. And so if you've never had that time in your life where you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then I, I suggest that you uh, consider what the Bible says in John 3.16, in Romans 10.13, in 
uh, Romans 6.23, about the wages of our sin being death. And it's talking about the second death. But God didn't leave us there. He said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's exactly what we need to do, place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, not in a church, not in a religion, not in any man, but through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what Easter is all about. We're talking about uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith in his work, what he did, then uh, Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you've never taken that step, that's the first step that has to be taken. But for Christians, I think the challenge given by Elijah is appropriate. Uh, how long halt ye between two opinions? And this is our opportunity to get closer to God. This is our opportunity to share the gospel with folks that don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior. This is our opportunity to build and strengthen our faith and our spiritual power with God. And let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to preach, and uh, we're thankful for the scriptures. We're thankful for the, the lessons that they teach us. I pray if there is anyone watching this message that does not know you as Savior, that they would ponder the things that they've heard, and they would uh, call upon you, and they would ask you to save them, praying the simple prayer of faith and believing in their heart that Jesus Christ is the only way, placing their faith and trust wholly in him. And I pray for uh, Christians uh, that may have uh, heard this lesson as well, this preaching. I pray that uh, they would consider the fact that we need to draw closer to God and we need to spend this time uh, in prayer and in Bible study and, and growing our faith and, and getting stronger and closer to God. And Father, we do pray for revival in our country. I pray that uh, there'd be revival for our church. And I pray especially, Lord, that uh, you would guard and protect your people. I pray that uh, for the folks in our church, that you draw them closer to you and help them spiritually, help them physically, and help them emotionally as well. Father, we are thankful that we could uh, come in this format before you. And we pray that you would bless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.